Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Fran Patterson, and I serve as acolyte shepherd in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it as we prepare for worship. Let us bow our heads in prayer. We are known by you, gracious God, better than we know ourselves. You have given us life. You have renewed our spirits. You have carried us to the heights and you have dwelled with us in life's deaths. You are our hope and our trust. Touch us here, for you are far beyond our reach well with us here to lift our aspirations and inspire confidence among us. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Let us worship God. are the people of God, but scripture reminds us that we still sin. We need to confess our failures knowing that the Lord Jesus intercedes for us with the Father who freely forgives us through his infinite goodness and mercy. So let us draw near to God with sincerity and confidence and confess our sins together. We bow in awe before you, powerful God. We have forgotten that you are in charge of the earth. We have neglected the brothers and sisters you have called us to love. We want them to conform to our way of doing things rather than reaching out to them where they are. We would rather ignore them than feel obligated to help. Sometimes we would rather continue our own crippled existence than call on you to help. Oh God, we need your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. 
God is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and trust his Son as Savior and Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Let us now boldly state what we believe using the words of that ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let us demonstrate the love of Christ by warmly greeting our neighbors. Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We are grateful for your presence today, thankful for the opportunity that each Sunday uh, provides us, the chance to come together to be God's people and to uh, praise the good Lord and to wonder what the good Lord might want us to do in the world. So we're glad you're with us today. And if you're a visitor with us today, we especially welcome you. Uh, If this is your first time here, we especially welcome you. And 
we would love to have a further conversation with you after our service. We uh, gather underneath the, the cool shade of the oak tree and um, get some hot coffee into you. So we, uh, but we'd love to have you uh, come and join us for that. There'll be there underneath the tree, lots of opportunities for you to uh, be a part of our ministry here. There's all sorts of ways. Church of the Palms is sort of a 24 seven uh, operations, so we would love to have you engage with us in all sorts of ways. Linda Evans will be out there, and she will be uh, taking your names for tutoring. Uh, we are getting ready to rev up a new year of tutoring, and uh, unfortunately, we're a little bit behind in our list of tutors that will be available for uh, kids who will uh, be signing up to be, uh, to be helped and supported by our congregation. So, if uh, perhaps, especially in this week, you're wondering, how can I make a difference in this world? Uh, an hour, an hour a week can change a life. And we'd love to have you join us in that. And if you'd like to learn more about that, uh, see Linda underneath the tree after our service. We'd love for you to fill out the friendship paths and pass those along to your neighbors. And uh, we'd love for you to find out a way by which you can put a name and a face together and uh, perhaps continue that conversation that you just started during our greeting time. We have a new members class today. If you'd like to learn more about life here at uh, Church of the Palms, we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. We'll be right next door in the chapel, 1015. We'll go for just about 45 minutes or so, and then followed by a chance for you to actually join the church today if you'd like to do so. So come and join us for that uh, right after the service, 1015 in the chapel. Next Sunday, fall kickoff, we get the the new year begun, uh, our programming starts, and uh, kids are already back in school. Hard to believe uh, that that's the case, but that is the case. So we are grateful that we'll have the chance to uh, be in a, a joint service here at 9 o'clock. Our good friends in the contemporary service at 10 o'clock are, are going to get up an hour early and join us here in the sanctuary uh, so that we can be together as the people of God and worship together. And then following that, there will be all sorts of opportunities for you to learn about what's coming up in the fall. We will have activities for children and for adults, and we'll actually be also heading in. We've gotten approval, all the approvals necessary to head into the new building, and we're going to be writing sacred graffiti on the inside walls of our new building. So if only for that, come, uh, and we'll give you more details on that next week. So it's going to be a big day, and uh, we would love to have you come and join us. We uh, want to continue to hold up all those people who are struggling in our congregation, but we're thinking especially today of the Minkus family, Dorothy Minkus, who uh, hasn't been able to be with us for a long, long, long time, but is worshiping with us every Sunday on TV. She passed away this week uh, quietly, and we reach out to Gene and his kids, and we want to let them know that we have always been a part of our congregation, even as they have been included in our TV audience. Let's continue our worship.
Thank you, Lauren. Love to hear your voice. One thing before praying this morning, I wanted to call to your attention the little flyer that's in your bulletin, uh, our nomination form, which we hope is actually a topic of prayer for yourself. Um, If you're like most people, you look at a form like this and say, well, that's not me. Um, And it may not be, but perhaps it is. Um, Moses didn't think he was supposed to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt, but God had another plan. So we hope that you may take this home, actually. Don't just dump it in the pew, but take it home. And if anything, just to simply pray for what next thing God might be asking for you in your life, and uh, perhaps even to consider other people in your life that you know that might be a potential leader here at Church of the Palms. So we'd love for you to Take that with you and pray uh, for what God might be up to in your life. So we 
Now turn our hearts and minds to God. Let us pray. Gracious and eternal God, to bow our heads this morning is to acknowledge to some degree that what help we need must come from beyond us. We cannot handle this thing called life on our own. We cannot manage the world on our own. We cannot achieve goodness and wholeness on our own. We cannot bring about peace on our own. We bow our heads and close our eyes as if to say that there is a greater power before which to kneel and a greater wisdom beyond which we can see. We praise you for your promised presence. Though we sometimes act as if you are a million miles away, we bow our heads and close our eyes because we remember that you are as close as the souls inside us. We don't want to be distracted by the noise, the chores, the deadlines, the blah, blah, blah of radio, podcast, and TV. You have given us Sabbath to pause and bow and close our eyes so that we can open our hearts and receive the gift that has always been here, your promised presence, your gracious being, your loving embrace. If there's anything this past week has done, it is perhaps to remind us what a mess we can make of the Garden of Eden. You created the world and called it good. You created a garden and filled it with beauty. But we find a way to strew garbage and grow weeds. We take over the management of things and cars drive down sidewalks and run over people. You love us into being, and we turn it into hate and violence and privilege. But there is no hate inside the garden of your kingdom. There is no violence inside the garden of your kingdom. There is no privilege inside the garden of your kingdom. We are unworthy guests, and you are the gracious host. We pray for the families of the 14 victims of hate in Barcelona. We pray for the family of Heather Heyer and for the families of Lieutenant Jay Cullen and Trooper Pilot Burke Bates. We pray for the families of the officers Sam Howard and Matthew Baxter. Senseless deaths in a world you intended to be beautiful. We pray for people whose hearts have hardened for people who are unable to make room for different colors and race and religion and class. We pray for our country and our seeming inability to embrace our differences without a fight. We pray for our president. And we pray for ourselves and for the prejudices we've managed to bury deep inside our own souls hidden from view, perhaps even from ourselves. Yet you are present, O Lord. There is a balm in Gilead that heals the sin-sick soul. If we would but reach from our distraction and our preoccupation, if we would but bow our heads and close our eyes, 
if we would but open the hardened places inside us and receive your spirit, your healing, your grace, and your love for the world, if we would just follow the great lover Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings.
Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, accept these, our offerings and our prayers and ourselves as a sign of our love for you and our love for our neighbors. Bless these and use these and ask the givers as your instruments of love, peace, justice, and grace to all, not only here, but not only all around the world, but to the end of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated as our children come forward with Carol and friend. <laughs> we have a special friend with us who's going to tell you kids um, what it, a very special way that we get to serve in the church. Miss Fran Patterson, some of the kids, come on, sit, sit up, come on, and her friends. Miss Fran Patterson here, some of us call her Miss Fran, she's here to tell you what it means to be an acolyte in the church. Good morning, everybody. It's so great to see you here because what we have to tell you is a great thing for you to hear and to recognize how you too can become a helper and a server. So I brought a crowd of helpers in with me and they're going to tell us all about what it means to be an acolyte, but I brought one other person who you might recognize. Does anybody know who this is? Yes, it's Stuart. Wow, you are informed. Uh, yes, this is a minion, and the minions are known to be helpers. So would you mind holding Stuart for me? Thank you. So I brought the, the real helpers of our church who actually helped the service to happen and helped the congregation to feel the presence of God. The first person that's going to talk about what the first thing is that an acolyte does on a Sunday morning is Walter. Walter? Hey guys, my name is Walter. Uh, I've been acolyting here for five years. Um, it's pretty fun, you should try it. Um, so in the morning, uh, I'll get to church, I'll put on one of these super cool robes. Um, <laughs> and then as the church service starts, we'll, carry, we'll use one of these lighters and we'll walk down the altar and we'll light the, uh, the candles on the table to symbolize Jesus, the light of the world. Um, and lighting the candles also helps the church community uh, feel the presence of Christ during the service. So, yeah. Thank you, Walter. Well, after we do that, Reese is going to describe what the next activity that an acolyte does is. Okay, so we also carry a cross in a Bible. The cross is a symbol of Jesus dying on the cross for us. It shows that we have respect and love him for everything he does. A Bible tells all the words that he said and other people said. We show that we care and have interest in what he has to say. Thank you. Uh, Walter's next. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Walter. Yeah. Walter is now going to talk about what the acolytes do at the very end of the service. So at the end of the service, we have such uh, an also an important job. Um, we will walk back down during the last hymn, 
and we'll extinguish the candles, but we also use the wick on here and we carry the, the light out of the service to represent the light being taken out into the world. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Walter. Isabella's kind of new to our team. She's been here just recently. Began last year, I believe, right? Re was it Isabella? And uh, she would like to tell you why she became an acolyte. Okay, so I became an acolyte because I wanted to experience like lighting the candles and bringing Jesus and the light into the church and taking it out for you guys to feel the presence of Jesus while we worship. Thank you. And of course, we have so many of them. And Christina came forward, and she was acolyting this morning. So she is also part of the team. But there's over 30 of us. And we want to invite you to join us. So we're going to be talking more about acolytes in a little bit. But let's pray before we go up. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for this team and what it does for this church and why they do it. Every Sunday morning, I get the privilege to be amongst them and to help them get their robes, get prepared, and come forward. And it is a privilege, Lord. Thank you for that opportunity because I see within each acolyte that desire to serve their community and their church. We thank you so much for each one of them. Guide and direct them and help them as they continue to help us. Amen. Let's go upstairs. We're going to find out more about acolyting. Thank you.
may be seated. Our scripture lessons today are taken from both the Old and New Testaments. <clears throat> the first from the prophet Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, beginning at the sixth verse. This story is found within uh, a deep, dark, the deep, dark days of the people of Israel, when Israel is in the process, when Jerusalem is in the process of being sacked and all their people being taken away into what we know now as the Babylonian captivity. So in the midst of watching his city being sacked and burned and all of his people being taken away, the prophet Jeremiah uh, speaks these words. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me, Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, buy my field that is, an is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver, and I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Nerea, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Second text is from Matthew chapter 15, beginning at the 21st verse. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read into the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. How hopeful are you? How hopeful are you? Between the years of 1950 and 1953, the Hayden Planetarium in New York City ran a marketing campaign to entice people to come visit the planetarium and it revolved around helping people imagine the day when common, ordinary folks would be able to travel into space, and in particular, travel to the moon. This was, of course, some 10 years, almost 10 years, before anyone in the world had even traveled into space, and almost 20 years before Neil Armstrong stepped foot on the moon. And what the planetarium did back in the early 50s was send out coupons for people to use to make reservations for the day when commercial interplanetary tour services would be offered. People were given the chance to be the first in line for a chance to travel to the moon. The response was surprising, overwhelming. People from all over the world wanted their chance to fly to the moon. And along with sending in their coupons to make their reservation, some wrote with some particular questions. Will it be a round-trip ticket? (laughs) Do I need to bring my own oxygen? Does the planetarium, remember this is 1950, does the planetarium have a specific schedule of flight departures? (laughs) And this one comment, since the way I've lived my life guarantees I'm not going to heaven, I'd sure like a crack at the moon. Now, as I said, the response was surprising and overwhelming to this little marketing effort, but what the planetarium did not expect was that over 65 years later, people would be still calling the planetarium to see what the flight status was and were they still in line. Ten-year-olds, now 75 years old, have been calling to see how things are looking for their reservations to go to the moon. They took the offer seriously. Fortunately, the planetarium had kept the coupons in a file somewhere in some storage room, and it has been the source of some good humor to think about the great expectation of those over a half century ago, and yes, even those today. Something compelling, I must admit, to these hopeful travelers, not only to have sent their coupons in long before they had any proof that that human beings would make it through the atmosphere and into space and not to mention the moon, but then 60 years later to follow it up to see how things were going with their reservation. That, my friends, is hope. Now, I suspect things might have changed for many of these coupon holders if a significant deposit have been required of them to hold their reservation. What would be an appropriate deposit for a multi-million dollar ride into space? $10,000, $100,000? I suspect that that reservation line would have gotten a wee bit smaller. How hopeful are you? So it's in our story this morning from Jeremiah that we find one very hopeful prophet. 
Many of you know the background. It is the 6th century BC. Judah is surrounded by some of the great empires of the known Middle Eastern world. And not only are they surrounded by these empires, but they are becoming increasingly threatened by them. And their independence is being maintained only by some precarious treaties. But all of a sudden, all that begins to implode, and the armies of Babylon make their way into Judah and lay siege to Jerusalem. And what begins is what is called the great Babylonian captivity, when nearly all the residents of Judah and Jerusalem are either killed, violated, or dragged off into captivity in Babylon. An entire nation is taken away from their land and forced to live in a foreign land. Not much worse can happen to a nation. Now, Jeremiah has been warning that this might happen. He believes that Judah is going to somehow pay the price for their disobedience. But Jeremiah also believes that God will not give up on his people. God's provisional grace will not ultimately abandon the people of Judah. He knows that someday Jerusalem will be filled again with God's people. His hope is in the grace of God, the purposes of God. Now Jeremiah believes all this and envisions all this in the very moment that the Babylonians are dragging off his countrymen. Now that's hope. In the spirit of Abraham and Moses, who had a vision for God's promised land, Jeremiah believes that God will not forsake his people or his land, so he sees a day when those people will come back. But not only does he see it, not only does he have this hope that Jerusalem will fill, be filled once again with God's people, he hears the voice of God to tell him to buy a field, to buy a plot of land in the heart of Jerusalem that is absolutely worthless in the moment. But Jeremiah is to buy this land because someday God's people will return. And that's what he exactly does. He buys a field. He invests in a piece of property. Talk about buying low. Talk about a dip in the market. Jeremiah takes out his checkbook and buys a piece of land. That's putting your money where your mouth is. That is standing behind what you believe. That is investing in your hope. This is no profit of word only. This is a profit of deed. So much so that he acquires a deed. He, he, he buys a field. He is, he is connecting his hope to his deed. I, I purchased this land, not as a smart real estate investment. No, I purchased this land because I have hope in the purposes of God. Jeremiah did not live to see the day of God's people returning, but they did, and he connected his hope to his deed. Think with me for a moment about connecting your hope to your deed. Think with me about buying a ticket to the moon. Think with me about putting a down payment on what would be the equivalent of some swampland in Florida. Think with me about connecting your hope to your deed. My grandfather, 
love to tell the story about the Iowa town that had been through months of months of drought and the fields were dying and the crops were parched and finally one day the local preacher called for a prayer meeting, a meeting to pray for rain and it would be at six o'clock on Sunday evening and all the town was invited to come to that little, cha that little chapel in the middle of the town and so when six o'clock came the church bell pealed throughout the town and not a cloud was in the sky. The people came nonetheless and they crowded into that little, that little chapel so they could pray for rain and they all got in there, squeezed into the pews and the pastor got up into the chapel, looked, looked, looked around and the first thing he said was, this meeting is dismissed. This meeting is over. The people looked around in consternation, but wasn't this a prayer meeting for rain? The Reverend continued, how can we dare pray for rain if none of us thought to bring an umbrella? What does it mean to connect your hope to your deed? It's one thing to book a flight to the moon. It's another thing to pay for it in advance. It's another thing to wonder if this land will be good any day, someday, whenever. It's another thing to put down a day, down payment. What does it mean to connect your hope to your deed? Because we church folk are people of hope, right? Just about every line of the Gospels and the message is that God loves the world, right? That's the hope of Jesus' ministry. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What are the two great commandments? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the great commandments of hope. Love your enemy. Now, that's a commandment of hope. Over and over again, there is this hope embedded in the ministry of Jesus that God does, in fact, love the world. It's why, we, it's why we flock to Bethlehem in December to wonder again about this good news that God so loves the world that he comes to us in the shape and form of a little baby. And we say it in a thousand different ways, that God loves every single person in the world, even if that person, as if that person was the only person that lived in the world. Now, it's one thing to hope it. It's another thing to practice what you hope, even evidently for Jesus. So Matthew tells us the story of Jesus making his way out of the heart of Israel up into the heart of Gentile territory called Tyre and Sidon along the northern Mediterranean coast. Jesus has moved away from his own people, and now he's face to face with foreigners. And the rules were pretty simple back then. Jews did not fraternize with Gentiles. You stayed away. You, they weren't clean. They weren't pure. They were not of our race. So it is a stunning development when we read in Matthew 15 that Jesus makes his way out of the heart of the Gentiles, out of the heart of Israel, into the heart of the Gentiles. And there he is. And sure enough, <laughs> almost as if he's asked for it, Jesus is confronted with one of these different people, a desperate mother whose little girl is ill. Jesus' reputation evidently has preceded him, such that this Canaanite woman 
almost accosts this foreign holy man and begs him to heal her daughter. Now, if I had been a gospel writer, I am not sure I would have included this story. Because at first blush, it does not make Jesus look good. Because in this story, Jesus hesitates. A foreign woman in need, and Jesus hesitates. It was the easy thing to do, to keep his distance, to maybe even cast an aspersion upon her. It was the easy thing to do. The disciples would have understood Jesus keeping his distance. Oh, the Pharisees, oh boy, he would have won a lot of favor with the Pharisees if he had just kept his distance. James the Apostle said of Jesus that he was tempted as often and as deeply as we are, but without sin. Well, if there's any place where Jesus is tempted, it's here. Jesus is tempted to hope in God's love but to not do anything about it. To, to hope in God's love, but to walk away from this Gentile woman in need. To, to hope in God's love, but to leave this young family to fend for themselves. Oh, it's one thing to hope for the moon. <laughs> oh, it's another thing to buy a ticket. But Jesus buys a ticket. This courageous woman will not let Jesus go until he puts some money down. <laughs> and Jesus puts some money down. Oh, if God so loves the world, oh, well, then that means God so loves you. Whoa, 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 the disciples say. You, you can't be doing that. Whoa, 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 the Pharisees say. You, you can't be doing that. But Jesus does it. He buys himself a ticket to the moon. He puts down a down payment on someone's soul. Because it's one thing to hope in God's love. It's another thing to do it. If there's any story where I think that Jesus can most relate to me and when I can most relate to Jesus, it's this one. Jesus knows about my hesitation. I certainly understand Jesus' hesitation. Woven deeply into my soul, and I suspect for all of our souls, is this genetic hesitation, this genetic fear, this genetic flight from the stranger, from the one who's different. And if we let it, hesitation grows into suspicion, and suspicion grows into fear, and fear grows into hate, and hate grows into violence, and violence is what we saw this week in Charlottesville and in Barcelona, and it's horrifying, and it must be condemned, of course, without any hesitation. At the same time, confessing to the hesitancies in our own lives, right? to the times when we held back, when we pulled ourselves apart, when, when we failed to condemn, when we worried more about our own purity, our own color, our own race, our own orientation, and, and far less about the hope that God loves the world, gazing at the moon, but not purchasing a ticket. I think it's time 
to buy tickets to the moon. I think it's time to put some down payment on the lives and souls of people that are different than us. It's the only thing that can counteract the genetic hesitation. When I was 16, my church youth group hosted a youth group from our sister church in Detroit. We invited them out to our all-white suburb for a Sunday afternoon of fellowship that included a softball game at the local elementary school playground. This is 1974. Now, we white kids weren't real dumb, <laughs> and we kind of knew why our town was all white, but none of us really took it very seriously. Until that afternoon on the softball diamond, when we are playing with our African-American friends, when the local neighbors in the surrounding neighborhood showed up with baseball bats, and they didn't come to play baseball, swinging at any kid they could get close to. It turned serious then. And we walked, ran away in shame. We ran away in disbelief. Friday night at the Temple Sinai Synagogue, many of you were able to come who got the notice of this service that we shared with Temple Sinai. I was invited to share a few words with our Jewish friends in the wake of the Charlottesville incident and the president's equivocal response. And I began with John Donne's great meditation. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main the clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Of all the feelings I had about watching my white neighbors swing baseball bats at my black neighbors, I suppose what I felt, including the shame and the disbelief, was diminishment. Any person's diminishment diminishes me. A threat against them was to some degree a threat against me, a threat against humanity, a threat against the hope of God's love. There isn't a person in this world that could not give you a reason not to love them. There isn't a cable news report that couldn't possibly incite in you some form of prejudice. But the church of Jesus exists to counteract our instinct to take the bait. There can be no justification for our hesitation. No color, no race, no sexual orientation, no economic class, no moral failure. There can be no justification for our hesitation. Now more than ever, we are to connect our hope to our deeds, to buy some tickets to the moon, 
put some down payments on some souls. For we are, whether we like it or not, involved in humankind. And the bell is tolling.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.